There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, if you do I. Right now on the Power Chord Hour, I'm talking to musician and producer Jamie Wolford. Jamie has been the front man of the stereo of Animal Chin and Let Go. And uh, on top of that, he has also had quite the impressive career as a producer, working with tons of different bands, many who we've uh, interviewed on here after uh, working with Jamie. And uh, some of the people he has worked with, Punchline, The Gin Blossoms, The Story Changes, tons more. And uh, we're going to talk about all of it, his music career, his production career, and uh, how he got into it and all of that. So uh, we're going to get into that right now. Jamie, how are you? Hey, Anthony, thank you for having me on your show. Uh, it's great to be here, and I'm doing great. <laughs> awesome. I, uh, you know, I was thinking about this beforehand, and, uh, you know, like, I, I discovered I discovered your music at first, uh, probably around the time you guys, you guys got back to get the stereo, you guys got back together and played for uh, the Fueled by Ramen anniversary shows, and I'm trying to remember that. Was that, we're coming up at like 10 years, right? Yeah, that's ten years ago, twenty twenty eleven. Uh, yeah, we did the. It was at the time it was the Fuel by Ramen fifteen year anniversary show. They did a bunch of shows in New York City, and we were asked to kind of. Initially, we were actually asked to come back and do me and Rory to do an acoustic set, but I don't think either of us would have enjoyed that. <laughs> uh, so it's you know that's not what the band band is not like an acoustic band. We're a rock band, right? So. Uh, we're like, you know what? We'll do you one better. Let's we'll we'll put together, we'll kind of reform the band, and we'll come and play a full full set for you guys. And and we've actually sort of just sort of maintained maintained this lineup since, which is you know funny because the stereo has a somewhat Spinal Tap esque level of uh, uh, lineup changes. You know, no no drummers exploded, at least not yet. Uh, but but we're you know I don't know. There's there's still still time <laughs> you know that and i'm i'm happy you did it that way too because i feel like and you're right like with the stereo it would be cool to see you come back in any capacity but i don't feel like the stereo is the acoustic band i don't i can't imagine uh that, that that's not the way you want to see you guys you know you're very rock band yeah you know i mean there there are moments where we kind of show our our sensitive side i suppose but for the most part it's you know it's like you know, we grew up listening to sort of '80s guitar rock and and punk rock and and blending all that stuff together. It, it wouldn't necessarily. It's not. Uh, you know, it's not. Um, I'm trying to think of an example artist, but I'd probably just throw someone under the bus that I don't want to. So we're not an acoustic band. We're a rock band. So we just play play the rock. And how like how long had it been in between? I mean, that reunion and before that, like how long had it been since you guys played uh, together as the stereo? Um. Well, so we probably played our last show in 2003, maybe like the beginning of 2003. Uh, to be honest, I can't quite remember. Yeah, or maybe 2004. <laughs> I don't know. So Somewhere in that kind of early 2000s. And um, so it, it had been a while. And I had, after, after the stereo, I kind of took like a small break and then did another band called Let Go with uh, Chris, the bassist from the uh, stereo, and our uh, friend Scott, who's now the drummer of uh, the Gin Blossoms. 
Uh, so we had like kind of like a short, short uh, lived band there. We did like an album and an EP and, and then that didn't necessarily end in any sort of acrimonious way or anything like that. It just, we just sort of, it just sort of stopped. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I think everybody sort of got involved in other interests and we just, we slowed down touring. My, my producing career at the time had kind of taken uh priority over my life and so we would do like small shows here and there and then it just sort of like i think i just would pop my head up one day i'm like god it's been like two years since we've done anything you know just and then i guess we're i guess we're disbanded i don't know you know it just it wasn't like that we're still all friends and we still text each other and you know chris is obviously in the stereo with me and hessel's out with uh jim blossoms all the time and we talk every once in a while and maintain good contact so that's all good. Uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was a big gap between that, the, the last stereo show and then the, the kind of the reunion, um, in 2011. And then we did, um, we've done a, a series of shows since then, uh, in Chicago and, you know, at the 350 fest and we did kind of our own offshoot, kind of a secret after party show, uh, and then we did a secret show at the fest, and then the a kind of a full blown fest set down in, in Gainesville at the at the twenty nineteen fest, or is it twenty eighteen? I can't remember now. We, we we have this joke that that's the slowest tour ever, because <laughs> you know we've we got back together with this lineup, and oddly enough, this lineup has been together over twice as long as the stereo was initially, and we've played like six shows <laughs> it's they're all good shows just really just really got to warm up to it and get real slow approach to everything and just really make sure it's right so you know just gotta everyone counts how do you now i mean like like you said like you're doing a lot of production and stuff now when it comes to doing like live shows like is your attitude towards them different because i would imagine there was a time where like you went out, you toured, you played whether you wanted to or not, whereas now it sounds like mm-hmm. touring's kind of more, it's like a fun thing to kind of do every now and then. I would assume your relationship with it has kind of changed. Uh, Yeah, yeah, precisely. I mean, you know, when when we, you know, the stereo, Animal Chin, the stereo, and even Let Go days, when we were those bands at that time, touring was our 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 livelihood our job it was the means of income to live you know not just because you know not just being in a band which is fun and all that's great but it was the process in which we put food in our mouth it was the beginning of that right it's, it's how you earn money um and so yeah you know i'm sh- while there were few and far between were the times where i didn't want to get up on stage and play i mean that that has happened but um for the most part anything going wrong you get up and you're playing with friends and you're enjoying music and the, and you're sharing you know the songs that you wrote with a, hopefully a group of enthusiastic people <laughs> uh i have i have been on the other side of that you know um and you just that that's great nowadays you know we're all sort of fam- married family men and um you know we're sort of dev- now our devotions and our priorities are our children and our, our wives and our lives. Right. And the band is, um, um, is a, it's a really great sort of focal point, um, for, uh, sort of like a positive outlet. And whenever we get together, it's, it's just tremendous fun. It's like only fun. Um, so any sort of, 
hardship of being in a band has somewhat washed away now because the only times we do anything as a group is when we want to basically celebrate playing music together and celebrate our friendship and go do something fun. And because we sort of <laughs> do it at a snail's pace, you know, like well, in a couple of years we'll play another show, you know, um, it tends to bring out a lot of fans even, and fans will travel. So when we do get there and when we do play, um, I feel like it's just a lot more celebratory, you know, than it, than it, than just like, okay, it's Thursday or okay. It's, you know, Wednesday and, you know, now we're here, now we're there, you know, and and it's a lot more of a, I don't know how to use the word. It's just special. It's more, it's less, uh, less frequent and more special. So for all, for everybody, hopefully it's, it's like that. So yeah, we have a great time. That makes sense too. Like you were saying with like kind of the fanfare around it. Cause it's like, you're not doing that thing where you're playing too much where they go, Oh, I'll catch them next time. Cause you don't really know when next time will be. Right, right. And we've definitely been in that, that, you know, we've had strategies in the past where, okay, we're going, okay, it's, it's, it's 2002. Okay. This year we're going to, we're really going to blank at the U S and we're going to hit, we're going to basically book the same tour three times in a row with like three weeks off in between or something or nine days off in between or whatever, some ridiculous thing. And just so that we can come back and really hit all of these, you know, markets. And th- this is the strategy strategy of like managers and, and booking agents and stuff like that. You know, we know that we have to play in order to live. So it's like, okay, let's go do it. Um, but yeah, that you can wear people down a bit, you know, um, especially if you're not changing your setup and adding new songs and doing whatever, playing old favorites, you know, that you hadn't played last time, you know, you gotta, you gotta be careful with that stuff. But nowadays it's always just like, it's a good time. So what were like, it, it, and you might have to think a second, but like, what were like your vigorous touring years? Like, cause I know, I know you're doing touring in Animal Chin and the stereo. And like you said, not ton with Let Go. But you're doing stuff with like Let Go. Like, what would you say was like the period of time in your life you were like touring the most? Like, like how long were you like, you know, maybe like a five year stretch or whatever? You were just like touring nonstop. Yeah. No, I mean, okay. So I got out of, let's see. I mean, the, okay, so to, to be specific, to like just directly answer your question, 1997 was the year I played the most shows of my life um, with Animal Chin. We did, I don't have an exact figure, but I know that we played over 200 shows that year. Um, yeah, and, and, and my, my, whenever I've answered this question, I, I, I sort of have an estimate, that I call it 220. And so I don't know for a 220. I know that we were gone most of the year, like easily, right? Um, and, you know, we would have weeks or so off here and there or whatever. But like, I mean, there was one tour that was like 19 weeks long that year. Um, we, we broke up like four times a week. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just was, you know, we're kids, right? And we're just running around in this big dumb box on wheels and, and, all the problems that people of like your kind of mid twenties face as far as like drama and getting along with people that have differences of opinions and just like odd habits and whatever, you know, even if you don't have odd habits, your, your habits, which may not seem odd to you may seem odd to someone else. Right. All of that stuff is sort of like contained and amplified, you know, like if you've ever heard of like, you've heard of firecracker, right. 
when you're outside, right? But if you were to like go inside a telephone booth and light off a firecracker, right? No matter how weak it is, it's going to be like a hundred times louder because of just the environment you're in. And, and personalities are the same way on tour, right? You, you put everybody in a, in a Ford O'Connor line and it, 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 it can get tricky <laughs> really fast, you know? And it's not just one person. It's like a. It's like you've got these relationships that you're managing, and and the trick to being in a band is isn't being good or not being good or having best songs or not having great songs. Being a good musician, none of that. Like that's important, obviously, to be a good band. But to stay a band, it's all about how you get along with the people in your band. And um, I've learned all too well over the years that you know, no matter how intelligent you may think you are or how insightful you're trying to be or thoughtful, you know, it is tricky. And it can, it can really be difficult for even the, the most um, forgiving of us at times, you know? No, that I could, uh, I could totally see that being in a band, being stuck in something, you know, in a van and touring. I mean, that's insane playing that many shows in a year. Like, you're not getting away from them at all. That sounds like you have, like, no breaks in between. Right, right. And if you get if you're if you're in the middle of I eighty in Nebraska and somebody gets mad, it's not like you can storm out of the room. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I guess you could pull over, but then but now you're like the the bottom line of the band's interests is being okay. Well, now we're going to be late. You know what I mean? You can maybe move to a slightly further away uh, section of the vehicle, but it's like you're you're kind of there. And so there are, there are lots of times where you're like you know, okay, well, I'm just, this guy's really on my nerves right now, or, or I'm really on his nerves right now. I'm going to go drive and he can just go up and sleep in the bunk and I'll, we'll talk in eight hours kind of thing, you know? Um, and that's the best you can do, you know? But you, you know, more often than not, no matter how crappy things could have been at a certain moment, usually by the time we hit the stage, we had enough love for what we were doing where none of that mattered. Even if we went back to it after the show, during the show, it was like, okay, you know, let's, let's do our job here and we love our job. So, you know, like animal chins, probably the, I mean, the first band, everyone like knows you from, but before that, I mean, did you have many other bands before that growing up? Did you do a lot of like bands in high school and stuff? No, not a lot. I mean, I, you know, I, I had like, I sort of, you know, jumped around little bands here and there, just starting, not knowing what I'm doing. You know, I was I was a drummer, um, and so I would play drums with them and play drums with these guys or whatever. Um, and it wasn't until I joined a band called the Pacers, um, you know, which I kind of I'd say I started t- like properly touring. I toured with the uh, did a little bit of touring, like a two week thing, three week thing, when I was still in high school. I was like 17 or something like that. But it was after high school, I joined this band called The Pacers. They were from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I lived in Minneapolis. And um, they were, you know, like a kind of a a third wave ska band that, for whatever reason, really started resonating in the Midwest. And we would play these really big shows, you know, like where, you know, we'd sell out Shank Hall in Milwaukee two nights in a row. And it's like 1,100 people a night. And yeah, and and it would like... um, um, it opened my eyes to like how levels of musicianship, not necessarily uh, uh, playing musicianship, but like being in a band, right? How these things started to work because my experience up until that point was just, we were lucky 
if you were spitting on us, at least that meant you saw us. <laughs> you know, like there's just whatever we were doing was not being paid attention for the most part to by anyone. So this was like, okay, well now I can now I can kind of get a taste for what it's like to sort of where you an audience is sort of caring about what we're doing. You know, you, you, and that was that was a lot of fun. Um, I did not ultimately stay in that band. Um, it just I just kind of wasn't my thing, and I moved on. And that's kind of from there. I went on to Animal Chin. I actually did. I was a short stint in a, a straight edge hardcore band called Harvest, which actually turned up to be a, a pretty big band in that scene. But I sort of was one of the initial members of that band, and I did their first few uh, produced their first few recordings too. Um while I was trying to get Animal, Animal Chin up and running. Um, but then, yeah, once Animal Chin finally got up and running, you know, I, I basically lived on tour from that point up until the end of Let Go. So it was, it was, a, it was about, a, I don't know, maybe a 14-year stint of just hitting the, hitting the bricks, you know? Jeez. Every, everything from, you know, um, you know, the United States to Europe and Japan and so... It's like fourteen countries or something like that. I don't. I don't exactly know. It sounds like the uh, like when you were when you did those the uh, short like tours like in high school. Did you was that like a turning point for you? That sounds like that might have been a time where it kind of sparked your interest in being like, oh wow, like I want to tour. I want to be. I want to like do this more seriously than maybe you know that maybe you're taking it before that. Yeah. Well, look. I mean, I got the bug for music early on, like before I even knew I wanted to play play music i knew i loved music so when i was a kid i you know um i would i was very fascinated with like radio and like listening to the radio and the different songs i mean growing up in the 80s um was i think the 80s has sort of a interesting sort of sonic palette as far as music goes there's a lot it's like it's really a big turning point where technology started to kind of interfere <laughs> if you could put it like that with uh, music and but it really led to kind of some peculiar music and if you you know and and whether or not you sort of judge that now through hindsight as like a good thing or a bad thing or cheesy or whatnot as a child listening to that stuff it was compelling you know it, it kind of like scratched that itch of um, you know, like my attention span, you know, any, any child's attention span jumps around and music of the eighties can actually kind of occupy your, your mind. You know, you can jump from Van Halen to like missing persons, right? That's like the same decade, but those two bands couldn't be more wildly different sounding, you know, they're guitar, bass and drums and even keyboards, but they really do sort of run the, the gamut, you know? And so I was just fascinated by all of that music and I would just sit there and, and like spend like, you know, summer break listening and recording, waiting for like a favorite song of mine to come on the radio to record. So then I could like dub it like on loop to another tape, you know, <laughs> my, I was already re producing records back then. Right. Uh, like, but that was like a, a kind of an interest of mine as, as a kid. And, and so I, you know, my parents, uh, well, they didn't necessarily play instruments. My dad could kind of play, um, drums a little bit i don't know how he knew how to but when i got a drum set he knew how to play drum beats already so some somewhere in his life i never did ask him um uh but he could kind of play like a couple of drum fills and i was like whoa you know um but yeah i started as a drummer in sixth grade and got a drum kit and just 
got into you know high school band and all that stuff and but I just there was no hope for me doing really anything else I I kind of that was the path I was going to be on almost whether I liked it or not <laughs> you know what I mean so well yeah thanks <laughs> did you I know Animal Chin was a Minneapolis band did you grow up in Minneapolis yeah, like on the outskirts of the Twin Cities, you know, I, was, uh, I, I grew up in a city called Woodbury for like up until about sixth grade. And then from like sixth, seventh grade up, I, you know, my, we, my parents moved to town over to a town called Lake Elmo, which is like one town away. And then when I got to 11th grade, um, I went to a, a arts high school across town when I actually like stayed in the dorms there. Um, but I, um, it was about 20 miles away from where I lived. So, you know, you kind of stay in the dorm. But, but, but from that point on, from basically age 16, I would, I would call myself a person of Minneapolis. You know what I mean? I was at the, the, our school was just on the outskirts of Minneapolis and we'd go into Minneapolis all the time. Minneapolis is the city in the Twin Cities that you want to be in. Um, nothing against St. Paul. St. Paul always, we joke that St. Paul closes at 8 p.m., you know, and then, Minneapolis opens. So you know what? As someone who lived in Minneapolis for a year, I agree. I you're not wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, it was actually a good place to go skateboarding because nobody, everybody just ditched, and you're like, cool, we have a downtown to ourselves. You know, we can just we can skate here, we can skate there, we can do whatever. You know, the hoodlums running around. What was the music? What was like the local music scene like when you were growing up there? Like, like were there a lot of like all ages shows or a lot of bands to go see? Yeah, yeah, tons, tons of bands. Um, I mean, we had great. Uh, Minneapolis has always had a, a sort of like a storied, fantastic, and pretty wild, wildly uh, a lot of variety to its music history. You know. Bob Dylan's the Minnesotan, Prince, Soul Asylum, Motion City Soundtrack, you know, um, these are all Minneapolis people and like they're all wildly different replacements, you know, Husker Du. The, all of this stuff is sort of in the DNA, you know, there's like, the, there's kind of like a, a sort of an earnest rock punk thing, but then there's also like a deep rooted sort of like funk thing in the cities. Um, and so it's a, it's, 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 you know, we joke, I don't know if it's, it's a joke or (laughs) it's a joke, but like Minneapolis thinks it's the New York of the Midwest, you know, but in, in a lot of ways it kind of is, it has like, um, it has a heartbeat that's a little bit different than most sort of Midwestern cities. Um, Chicago is its own thing and I wouldn't compare them. It's totally, you know, it's a lot different, but, um, uh, but if you take that out of the mix, I think Minneapolis is probably the bright spot of the Midwest. So I could be biased. So no, I I uh, I would definitely uh, again maybe I'm biased from living there. I agree with that, and I think there is a, there is something very special about the music scene uh, mm-hmm. there. Not too long ago, we did a whole uh, two hour episode on the radio show here. Just playing with Animal Chin was on there, but just two hours of. Uh, all bands from both, which kind of going what you're saying, I don't think anyone wants to claim they're from St. Paul because when you start looking it up, every band seems to magically be from uh, Minneapolis, which I, right, I'm right. a little, I'm a little, uh, I don't know, I'm questioning that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, St. Paul is where you can afford to live. Minneapolis is where you have to rock. 
you know. I like I like that. Now, when you now that was kind of for going to shows when uh, Animal Chin started. Were there a lot of like kind of like minded uh, bands? Like, were there bands to play with? Like, were there venues to play and stuff? Like, how was that for you when it when you started playing shows? Yeah, I mean, no, we had you know First Avenue and the Seventh Street entry is are the it was sort of the the crown jewels of venues in the Midwest, I'd say, and certainly in the Twin Cities. Um, so it was always our aspiration to play those places. Uh, First Avenue is the big main room, and then you know if you're not familiar, and the Seventh Street entry is the kind of the smaller capacity room. It's, it's a dual venue. They are called different things, but they share the same corner of the street, you know, the same building. Um, and then for any, you know, for some trivia, you know, if you watch the movie Purple Rain, that's all at First Avenue main room. And the scenes that are where he's in the dressing room, that's actually the 7th Street entry. They Hollywooded the venue to make it look like a dressing room. <laughs> but it's a it's an order of magnitude smaller than the main room. You know, it's like a 270 cap or something like that. And that might even be pushing it. Whereas the main room is like a 2000 cap room or something like that. So it's a, it's a, it's a much, it's like 10 times more people that can fit into the main room. But, um, but some of the best, you know, best shows I've seen were at 7th Street Entry and, you know, and it was always a huge deal, um, in my life when, when I got to play, uh, in the main room. You know, because like all the all my heroes, got, you know, that I would go see played at Main Room First Avenue. So playing there myself was like not only was it like an honor, but it was like a kind of like a bucket list thing. Like I I did that, you know. And I've, I've since I don't know, I haven't been there in a long time, but I've played there um, seven nine times. I don't know, something like that, you know. So like in just different you know varieties of whatever. So it's been a long time since I've been back, but. Um, it's a fantastic place. So sounds good, looks good, fun to play, great staff, great sound, that all that thing. So no, that's amazing. I mean, it is true. Like if people aren't from there, like if you're from the Twin Cities, that's I, that's something you do like aim for. That's amazing. You've played it that many times. You don't have a star on there, right? There's not an animal chin star. No, no, I'm not, not, I'm not so, not so lucky. <laughs> yeah, they. I mean, I don't know if there's any room left i mean there's there's a lot of stars up there no there's still a few empty stars it could still Uh, i'm saying it could still happen eh, maybe i just roll in one night late with a ladder and (laughs) there you go can of paint if they won't do it you would why does that one look like it's dripping (laughs) oh my god so i mean you know before we uh before we move on from animal chin uh, you know, fueled by ramen, which you know, Animal Chin was on. You ended up being on with the Stereos, a relationship you kept for uh, quite a while. How did that start? You know, how did your relationship with Fueled by Ramen get started? Um, so initially, we Animal Chin had all these songs that we were trying to find a home for. You know, we had released this six-song cassette of ours, um, and it was sort of our our introduction to you know the underground. Like, hey, check us out. This is our thing, and we. Initially, we were trying to get Mike Park at Asian Man Records to sign us, and I guess he didn't want to. <laughs> uh, so, but he did give our our cassette or our demos or whatever to uh, Vinny Fiorello from Lesson Jake and uh, John Janik from you know Fuel by Ramen, right? 
And so one day I get a call from this guy named John Janik and just leaves a voicemail and couldn't quite understand what he is from Fueled by Ramen. And I, like, I was like, what? what? I couldn't understand the voicemail. So I ended up calling him back. It was, it, the funny part is I didn't actually know what the label was called for probably a month. But I was talking to him and I just either didn't didn't clear up what it was. But he probably told me a few times and I was like, what, are, what is it called? And I ju- it just, I never heard a saying like that or anything. And, but we were, here we are sort of like embarking upon a relationship with a new record label. And I don't, I'm like, I don't know what it's called, but John's a nice guy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they were interested in the band and the, you know, the, the first thing they wanted to do is take what we had and re-release it on CD, you know, and give it their distribution and their, their logo and do all that, that thing. And because up until that point, we just had a tape, you know, we were sort of baby band. Um, and they, you know, took us to the big leagues where we got the CD. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was, and that was the beginning of that. And and from there, I sort of inserted myself or I was in, inserted by them to be sort of a graphics person. And I, it kind of helped launch my sort of second career as a, as a graphic designer, creative director, creative person. Uh, computer arts sort of stuff. Um, so I did, um, I became the sort of in-house graphics guy, anything graphic related, logos, um, web assets, you know, one sheets, posters, stickers, t-shirts, CD art, everything, anything that needed that guy, I was that guy. Um, yeah. And so I kind of like, there's a little bit of the, of my fingerprint on Feel by Ram and maybe even today, um, I don't know if they still use the logo I worked on like these days, like if, a, if a new Feel by ramen logo or record came out, if it has my logo treatment on there, but, um, I th- it might, you know, I, I know it's still somewhat used, but, uh, you know, yeah, I sort of, I sort of helped with that label too. Rory did too. Rory was kind of the web programmer guy. So we, to get, you know, not only were we making records together as the stereo at one point, we were actually sort of the creative department. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, 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 we you know, we sort of I I don't know, you, you know, it's we did um we've done a few interviews about this stuff where we, we you know, we've talked to people who are like, you know, you guys are sort of like this weird influential pair for this label that became an influential label, you know. So, it it's it's a sort of a weird short way of trying to say I I I invented emo. <laughs> um but <laughs> I didn't. But it's actually a long way of saying it. It's, it's a roundabout way, way of saying, saying. It's a roundabout way of saying I invented emo. I am both. Uh, you're both welcome, and I am sorry. So, <laughs> I apologize. You really were too, because I take it that like you were there before fueled by ramen. I mean, you kind of just said I it before what there, it was. Yeah. Like I was, I stormed the beaches of Normandy, you know, with Rory, and you know, I was there at David Bowie's first record. You know, I was like, you should do this thing across your face with a lightning bolt. You know, there's a whole no. generation of Midwestern no. teenagers. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm actually a time traveler. <laughs> oh my god, that that is amazing, and I, I that that is really blowing my mind too because I did not know about uh, your uh, you or Rory's uh, like that whole behind the scenes part of it. Yeah, it was kind of our again, like you know, I kind of go back to what I was talking about earlier. You know, being in a band was like sort of your means for taking care of yourself at that point, and you know, the financials of that time, you know, where gas was like 92 cents a gallon, you know, like you could, you, a band could make you live to see the next sunrise. You know what I mean? Uh, nowadays it's a lot harder, 
You know, like gas is four bucks. Gas is, you know, uh, it's difficult. Everything's difficult. And there's a ton more competition, you know. And there's also, (laughs) you know, life-threatening diseases and all sorts of stuff, you know. But back then it was a little bit more like, you know, if you're living by the seat of your pants, you didn't need a lot to, to, to do it, you know, and, you know, Taco Bell and, you know, you could, you could live for $5 a day on tour, you know, and then as long as your band had uh, gas money, you could just go, you know, play some more. So that, yeah, that, that is, I love talking to people who kind of toured during like the nineties and that like pre-internet era. Cause it seems mm-hmm. like it was a whole different monster way in a lot of ways in a good way too. Like a lot of it, people kind yeah. of look back fondly on that. It, no, it was completely different. It was completely different than it is now because now being from out of town isn't, I, I wouldn't actually say it's all that special, you know, because of how connected we are. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but but it is different than how it was. You know, you used to roll in and everybody was like, even if they didn't know you, if they knew you were from somewhere else, there was like a kind of a, a, a level of respect paid to you. Or they were certainly going to watch you play. They were certainly going to help you out with, making sure that you got the lion's share of the money. Um, and not not for any other reason than, hey, you you gave more to be here than we did. We just came down the street. You guys, you know, the street you came from was eight hours away. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, like, that was, there was always this comfort, you know. Um, I mean, the, it's just different. It's, a, you know, I'm not trying to pine for these old, olden days, but, like, it, it is like that a little bit, you know, and I'm sure that the people that are, you know, sort of beyond uh, my age that toured, you know, like, you know, my friend Stefan from Descendants and stuff like that, like he's probably got a whole nother order of magnitude more old man river than I do. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure he, I'm sure he could outdo my stories 10 to one, you know? So. No, that, that is a, that is cool. What, what, I, I love hearing about that stuff, so that's always uh, interests me. But getting getting back to the bands, so I mean, going through the timeline after Animal Chin, how soon after Animal Chin were you forming the Stereo? Was this an idea during Animal Chin, or had you had you like broken up and there's little time in between? Like, what is the timeline in between those two bands? Um, I mean, it was really, or it was actually kind of overlapped. So the last like sort of pro. Animal Chin kind of had a big falling out on on our last show of a tour. Uh, we were in Colorado Springs, and we came home from that tour sort of defeated. And at that point, I was like, you know, I'm ready to move on from this. I I I, I was not interested in playing sort of ska music anymore. Um, I kind of felt like I had um, rode that wave or whatever. And I was interested in more kind of like focusing on more sort of pop rock, punk kind of stuff. Um, and everything that the Animal Chin was doing up until that point was just heading in that direction anyway, you know? So I went home and I, um, I re- ended up re- having this weird sort of outburst of songs. Um, I wrote like nine songs and I think six of them are on the first stereo record. Um, yeah, and I went into a local studio and I just demoed it all by myself. You know, I just I walked in, I set up my drums and I had no help. And I just, I played drums to a song I had in my head and then I recorded all my parts over the top of it and I was like, okay, this works. These are these are okay songs, you know? I gave that to John at Fuel by Ramen who knew that Animal Chin was done um, 
and he was like, oh, you know, Rory's got some songs and Impossibles had broke up and, and you guys should, you know, you should do this together. So that got us talking, right? Um, meanwhile, we actually decided, you know, the, the Animal Chain had broken up, and, but we were going to do one more sort of farewell show. So we were sort of still technically together, but I went down to um, Texas to for about a couple of weeks with Rory to make, uh, well, not to make the record, but to um, finalize. We basically remade the demos that I did, plus all of his songs. We had like 13 to 15 songs, which became 300 because as soon as we were done with that everybody's like okay great that's a great record now go record it for real so then we drove back to minneapolis together and then recorded 300 and at the end of like either during that or at the end of the recording of 300 is when the last animal chin show happened um and we did, did like kind of a farewell show in minneapolis and and that was that but then so i was like saying goodbye handshaking and hugging animal chin as i was you know starting the stereo you know and we were starting rehearsals for the stereo and um we and then we drove back to texas <laughs> and started our first stereo tour there you know so it, it was all this was all probably within the span of like three months you know that this is all happening yeah i mean again like and i remember you know like because of what was going on with the stereo um feel by ramen you know was sort of greasing our wheels a little bit and gave Rory and I an advance to live off of. They gave us like a thousand bucks or something like that. And, you know, when you're living off of $5 a day or whatever at that point, a thousand, I was, I was like, I'm rich. I've made it. I'm a, officially a professional musician because I, I have a thousand dollars in my bank account and I can eat. <laughs> so this is rad. So yeah. Um, and that, and that, and yeah. And then the rest is her story. So then with uh, with the stereo, then it, it doesn't because I was going to ask if, if the plan was to the whole time kind of like tour and make this like, you know, just kind of make this your thing to continue doing it. Was it that or did it all just it sounds like it all kind of fell together after 300 came out, like the touring and everything else? No, I mean, we definitely the aim was to be in a band. It was the best sort of thing we had going, you know, and and I was like 24. 25 I don't know something something like that 26 somewhere in that pocket right Um, and I wasn't thinking about anything other than rocking playing music going to more places to share music and and I wanted to get overseas I wanted to I wanted to have my songs played on the radio I wanted to you know I, I, I wanted all of the stuff that goes along with the the um the romanticism of being in a band traveling and playing music and not having a day job, not living in a cubicle or anything like that. You know, like at that age, you know, it was like living the dream of being in a band, you know, just kind of trying to conquer the world with your buddies. So, um, yeah, there wasn't too much thought past it, uh, other than just knowing that this is what we're doing. And like I said, you know, we'd had some small level of success in, animal chin in that not not necessarily monetarily but like we were making an audience across the nation you know we would go return to cities and there were people there to see us and they'd sing songs with us and and that's infectious right so you want to keep doing that and impossibles had the same thing going so we're like well if we do this together we can you know we may be able to really make a professional thing of this you know but again 
even if we didn't, we're not stopping. You know, it's not like it's not like the only goal was to try to have success as as you know, being a musician. That's like saying my plan my 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 plan A is to win the lottery. That's you know what I mean. Like, what are you going to do after college? Oh, I'm going to win the lottery. You know, I'm going to work on that. Like that's like that's the equivalent to saying I'm going to be in a band. <laughs> you know, I plan to buy lottery tickets and hope for the best. Um, yeah, it is my retirement plan is to like to find money. Um, you know, plenty of it. It's dumb, right? But again, you're 20, you don't know what the hell you're doing. So, um, but you know, we had, there was some momentum around the stereo that wasn't really there for the, our previous bands. Um, once they, once our previous bands had been the, the majors as it were, were getting, were sniffing around, right? We would start to meet these people and they would, show up at shows, you know, this guy, A&R guy from that label and whatnot. And nothing ever came of it, but it was like, okay, well, you know, we're, we're on radars now. That's kind of cool. But when the stereo was like making the record, we were being handed uh, FedEx and UPS uh, account numbers and at being asked to send like rough mixes and stuff to A&R people. They're like, here's the Interscope, you know, FedEx number. Go ahead. Just, it's our account. Just send us, send us one a day. We're like, oh, Jesus, like what? Like, and like, what a weird thing to like <laughs> potentially hand out to abuse. Like, okay, I'll just start shipping stuff for free. But it, it, which we didn't, you know, we're not, we're not criminals all that much, but like, um, but you, you know what I mean? It, it, it ha- there was an air of like, okay, this is a little different. This like now has the potential to do something. So we, we went in, f- you know, full fledged to do it. So. That's awesome. And I mean, like, so then how, how long after 300 was out, did you guys start touring just right away? I mean, we were tour, we started playing the second we had the CDs. So, you know, it was, we didn't necessarily back in those days have like, okay, it's coming out on February 2nd and, you know, it'll be in tower records like that, like maybe it was in those places, but it wasn't so deliberate. It was like, you know, we had the album and we were selling it to you at the shows before, you could probably go get it at Best Buy. You eventually could go get it at Best Buy, but it was like, um, you know. And for all you kids that don't understand what I'm talking about, we used to sell albums uh, like in a physical way, and there would be stores that had all of them. And you'd go there, you go, hey, look at this one. This looks like this would be cool. Maybe you could even listen to it in the store if they had the technology. And then you'd give them this paper money with, with dead presidents on it, and then let you take it home. And it was an amazing thing. So... Little history lesson. The more, little more old man river. <laughs> I don't even think you can go into Best Buy and buy a CD anymore. I'm sure they have a few, right? They got to have something. I, I truly, I've been in a few where I saw zero. I saw for a while it gets shorter and shorter. I've yeah. quite a few where you can't. You might be able to find. You might the the funniest flip of all this and the screwiest of the, how the music industry works. You might be able to find. You might be able to buy vinyl though. There may be no CDs. Yeah, you can get vinyl at Target. <laughs> like how? Yeah, like like I've been walking through Target because it's the the electronics section is usually on the opposite side of the toys. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and my wife and I, we have four children, and um, you know, a baby who likes to walk around Target, right? Um, and so we obviously go over there, and and I spot like I'm like they've got Beatles albums here. Like this is crazy, you know. This I can, there's Sgt. Pepper's. Like what is happening, you know? And be and you know. Beatles, pretty widely known band, so I get it. <laughs> but it's just weird that they've got vinyl. You know? I just imagine in the year like 2007 when like 
you know, in like labels couldn't even sell CDs. And then you go, well, no, you know what's going to happen. CDs are going to go away and people are going to buy 30, they're going to come in and pay $30, $40 for a vinyl, for, for that right. record on vinyl. It, I don't know. Yeah, it, yeah it's, it's gone. It's, it's been bifurcated into like the utmost of convenience, right? Where you basically almost don't have to pay or you don't feel like you're paying. And everything is just, you can just click on it and have it and listen to it now and skip. You don't even have to wait to the end because most people don't, right? They just, uh, chorus, you know, don't bore us, get to the chorus. Okay, I'm out, right? To the, like, what I would actually describe is like the utmost and inconvenience because halfway through the record, you have to stand up and walk over, open up the lid and flip this thing over and then carefully put this thing down and then start your process again. You get like like 10, you know, 10 minutes, 11 minutes aside, right? It's like, <laughs> now that those are our choices. You can have it be completely you know, easy or completely difficult. <laughs> yeah, like something that doesn't even exist. You can have the one that you can't even hold in your hands. It's not a physical, it's not right, even right. physical. It's not there. You never see, you can hear it, but you never right. see the thing you buy. And then, yeah, right. the other's this big thing that uh, is so far from portable. Yeah, it's, but it is, it is experiential, right? Like you sit down with a jacket and all that stuff and you kind of look through the lyric sheet. And I, I'm not saying, like, I love collecting vinyl and all that. I just think it's the wildest thing how yeah. just like how people consume music, how music is sold, and the fact that we are now at a time where, uh, yeah, like vinyl is like one of the vinyl and digital are like the two biggest things. And CDs, we're talking about like you, you have you might have to go to three stores to find a CD nowadays. It's it's right. insane. I mean, it, it's wild, and and it's one of those things where you know humans are funny like that. We do we will do things all the time that sort of work against our own interests. You know. Um, so it's another example of that. We, you know, we love music, but we don't pay for it. And it's, you know, whether or not you agree with me or not on this, and I wouldn't even necessarily say I agree with this all of the time for every case, but it has, it has affected music, right? Downloading and, 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 and digital streaming and all this stuff has affected music in a way that it's made it um, not obvious for musicians to figure out what to do. Right, whether or not it's right or it's wrong or whatever, that argument is completely fine. Um, but it's not; no one knows what to do anymore. And everybody who says they do, they're not right. <laughs> they they are. I don't necessarily know if they're 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 lying, but I I I haven't seen anybody kind of come up with a plan of how to like be a band right now and have it make any like. Like, you know, there's certain things, right? You have to have, you have to get an audience, right? That's what every band needs to do, right? But like there are, the rest of it's just like, you know, anybody who has advice is sort of just making it up as they go. Um, and good luck to them because maybe somebody will stumble upon the right way to do things and we'll, we'll kind of have a little bit of a, a flourishing industry again. But it's affected everybody, even me. You know, like bands don't come in and record albums. They come in, they record EPs or they just mix an album with me, you know? Um, so everybody, you know, everybody feels the sort of the the drop out of that stuff, and it's been going on for a long time. Whatever, we're gonna be fine. No, people aren't gonna stop making music. Like it's not anybody who's real at this. I would say does it because they're going to do it anyway. They have to. You have to be. If it's in your blood, you have to. You can't not. You know, it's just like being like, you know, I think I'm done breathing. You know, like I think I'm, I've breathed enough. You know, like it's part of you. It has to happen. 
hopefully your body is telling you to do it regardless of not whether or not you think it's a bad idea. <laughs> that yeah, that's a that's a, a great point. I think you're right. I mean, there there's I I'd say most people whether or not they found success in it probably started music cuz they loved it and uh you know, will probably continue long after people care or not, you know. That seems right. like just something that uh you know, probably comes from you organically anyway. And uh yeah. Yeah, I mean, to, for me it's going to happen regardless of whether or not I share it with anybody or anybody that I try to share it with actually listens. I'm making the music regardless, right? I I pick up my guitar on a near daily basis and play something, right? And that that's going to happen <laughs> no matter what, you know? Um, the, the, the trick to making it sort of part of your livelihood is being, A, decent enough where people might like to hear what you're doing, and then uh, um, B, do you, sharing it in such a way where they feel compelled to reward you for it. So that's interesting. It's interesting when you, when you like tear it down like that, you like start dissecting it. Cause there are, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like parts to it all, you know? Yeah. And everybody is an expert. I probably sound like I'm trying to be an expert. I'm not an expert. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like I, I have some ideas, but I don't necessarily know if they're the, the right ones, you know, but you sound more like, Hey, this is how I've kind of navigated this. I'm not saying it's the right way. There not really is a right way. This is how I've done it. You sound actually level headed. You're right. I do. I I do sound level headed. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, God, I'm awesome. Fair, I mean, you invented emo. <laughs> you're level headed. I, I was there at the inception of David Bowie. Oh, that's right. I, I forgot I about the lightning bolt on his face. I, I'm pretty sure you ghost wrote for the Beatles yeah, too. Yeah, just a few songs. Something yesterday. Let it be. Yeah. You ever heard of Hey no. Jude? That one? Yeah. That little B side? Yeah. I've got some bummers. Octopus's Garden, you know, whatever. I, it wasn't my best. But, <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah, you know, it can't, it can't all be hits. So Now, now going back, I mean, speaking of, uh, you know, you, you've written in the stereo, I think, especially. Uh, some great, I think one of my favorite things we were kind of talking about earlier with the, you know, kind of doing the reunion shows or the Fueled by Ramen shows, if you did acoustic, you know, very loud, big, loud rock band. You always had really good guitar tone. Like, I mean, what what was your rig like in the stereo? Did it stay pretty consistent the entire way through? Did you basically kind of play the same thing, uh, you know, for the entire existence of the band? I guess so. Um, I mean... Uh, Yes and no, because like, like you know, when we go overseas, you're kind of at the mercy of whatever they have, you know, to to a, to a degree, and um, you know, and then and then you know, we'd carry a little bit of backup equipment around, and the backup equipment was just basically if something went wrong, right? So like, but for the most part, I'm um, I play uh, like like throughout the stereo, I played a Gibson Les Paul through a Marshall, you know, like a JCM 800. Um, and a Marshall cab, like sort of like a, okay, it's rock and roll time type of sound. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know how specific, how specific you want to get into some of my gear stuff or, or my approach. Okay. I, I think the people who like this stuff get into this and the people who don't hit fast forward. I I love hearing this stuff. I I, like if like, um, and I don't know if this is what anybody wants to (laughs) know, but like if if you were trying to sort of pinpoint what it is that I do or what I aim for, like, you know, when I'm creating a guitar sound or whatever, I like 
there's a, a, kind of like I would say it's like a specific combination of two individuals. Um, I'm proud to say is my friend now, Mr. Stephen Edgerton from Descendants. His guitar playing matched with uh, a guy named John Kimbrough, who's the guitar player for a band called Walt Mink from Minneapolis. Those two guys, to me, like if you were sort of figure out a way to alien mash them together in their guitar playing, that's how I see my guitar playing. Like, like I don't necessarily try to rip either of them off, although I probably have um, <laughs> in certain respects, but there are certain things that both of those guys do that just, I go, that is the way you're supposed to do it. That's the way you play that chord. I want to play my chords that way. You know what I mean? And like, and I borrow from both to kind of create myself. Um, I do some things, um, where like I will play an E major or a G major or a D major or an A major, basically major chords, in a certain way um, where I will omit certain voicings, certain strings, creating kind of like a, a unique voicing of my own, which I think makes the amp sound cooler or a little better. Like, well, actually, like like when I play an E major, I, I'm not, I don't want to like over... Talk over the, your audience here, but if you're a guitar player, okay. So the, the 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 e the form of an E major chord, right, versus the form of an E minor chord is is one difference, right? There's like, you just take your your first finger off the G string, right, and now you've got a minor chord. You put it back on, you've got E major. Um, I um, I do a form of when I play E major, I actually don't press down on the G string. I um, I mute it with my first finger. I just touch it. So the, uh, and I remove that string from my chord. So when you play the E major, like you kind of wind up and you hit E major, when I do it, I'm just muting that with my first finger, removing that string. It, oddly enough, it actually removes the one note from the chord, which tells you whether or not it's a major or minor chord form. But it sounds so damn good, and it sounds like John Kimbrough to me. And so whenever I play an E major, I kind of do that. And some people will, will have commented on my E major. <laughs> like, I'm like, wow, I guess this is like a proper thing. But I sort of took that thinking and I apply it to other chords too. I've, I've, I've figured out a way to play my chords um, where I'll, I'll refine a voicing where the distortion of the amp tends to like the square waving that happens more with, with my version of the chord than the other sort of traditional way. Um, like if you were to hear me play on an acoustic, you'd be like, oh, that's kind of an interesting, you're adding that, 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 the three on B thing for your G major. No, that's not, I don't normally how you play a, a G major, but I do it that way. And, and so like, there's little, little nuggets like that, that make me sound like me, I think. Um, and then I, and then, and I kind of feel like that comes from John Kimbrough. And then the other parts, like the, I try to add the precision of Stefan Edgerton into the things that I do, because I think he's like, he is a, a machine like guitar player. His precision is like out of this world. And it's just like listening to him play. I'm just like, I don't, it's inhuman how he's so like perfect, you know? He is so good. Um, I mean, and to be the only guitarist too in the descendants, I mean, He's so, you know, he's doing everything in there. Like all that guitar you're hearing, that's all him playing. There's no real. Yeah, yeah. That's no, him. I know. I mean, and I've, I've inadvertently talked to him at length about, uh, you know, what he's doing. And he'll say that it comes from Greg Ginn from Black Flag. And 
Um, and yeah, I can hear all of that, but he's still got his own thing. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, I could go on forever about him and, and how much his guitar playing is. He's a legend, know. though. I don't, I don't, yes. this is another no, one. I'm like, I love Descendants. I love hearing this. How did you, yeah. it sounds like, so you've gotten to know him. Like, like how did you kind of uh, get to know him? So I met him at Warp Tour in like 98, um, briefly. I don't even know if he remembers this, but I spoke to him for about an hour. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he doesn't. I, I, we haven't talked about it. Um, but then he ended up actually mixing a record I recorded for a band, uh, this band called Minutes Too Far. I did their record, and then he ended up um, mixing it. And he called me. He was like, hey, this is a great recording, and how did you do this? And just kind of was picking my brain about some stuff. And we just we ended up sort of like just talking for a long time, and, and we've maintained a, a friendship like that since like kind of like every every week or so he'll like he'll be like hey this is my thing i'm working on check this song out whatever and like so you know i'm i hear these little demos and he'll ask me studio questions and i'll ask him things and like so we're just we're just buddies like that you know but he's he's a good friend and we we're like we're sort of like gear nerds together so it's not it's not every day that you get to kind of like you know i grew up listening to his records and being like oh you know and like and then interestingly through the, the wildness of being involved in music and having some small amount of success doing it i was able to meet one of my the people i you know i looked up to and then it turned out to be a great guy and <laughs> now a friend so that is amazing that is, that is uh that is really cool and also a great if you're gonna if you're gonna be influenced by someone that's a good guitarist to be influenced by very uh very right, good pick. right yeah yeah i mean he's just bunkers you know I want to I want to get in. I mean, we've talked about a lot of your like bands and like I want to talk about a production a little. I got to say, I mean, it seems like you are fitting for a producer. Just the fact like what we were just talking about like like the voicing of a chord and like changing things up and augmenting things like like even speaking like that, that seems like something you see a lot in like producers. Someone who's a lot more like mm-hmm. focused and gets those things. Like when did your when did your interest for producing start? Like when, when did you start getting that? Like, Oh, I want to work behind the scenes and start doing things. Probably in high school. Um, you know, like, uh, yeah. I mean, I started making recordings for bands then. Um, I, my band, we went and recorded, you know, like, uh, like our, at the time my high school band, like went and did like a four track recording with like some guy that lived over, you know, on the other side of town or whatever. And I remember having this absolutely fascinating sort of realization, right, about music. Because when you're playing music in a group, right, if you don't have a recording of it, right, the only way you hear the music is by performing it together, right? And and I'm sitting at the drums or you're sitting at your guitar or whatever it is you're doing, right? And the just the actual, uh, the activity of creating the music, the playing of it, I don't know what the percentage would be, but just to make the math simple for me, let's say it takes half of your brain, right? So half of your brain is devoted to performing the task of playing the chords, drumming the part, singing the the notes, whatever, right? And then the the other half, if you're lucky and you have it, <laughs> is is now can be set forth to sort of listening to what's happening and enjoying it, right? And then you say, rec- so now you record this moment right, in a studio with a person. And then you can stop playing and you can hear what you did. Now you've got 100% of your faculties in which you can listen back to the thing that you just did. 
that first moment that I was able to do that where like I heard music that we played coming out of speakers, right? Which now put me at the same level as the, my favorite bands that also got played through speakers. Because up until that point, like if I wanted to hear me drumming, I had to sit down and drum, right? If I wanted to hear our band song, we had to play it. Like it wasn't like on some recording, right? So like the actual act of recording was this window into what it is that you do. And that moment was super duper compelling to me. And I, and I just remember being like, oh, this is so cool. And then you can go, okay, now let's try it again. I heard something I didn't like or I, that we could do better. Um, and it's just fun, right? It's like, it's like, um, it's going on a roller coaster and you, oh, let's go again. That was fun, right? Um, and, and there's a secondary realization that happens at, like, it's like six weeks later, right? Like the six weeks coming to Jesus moment, right? Where you, you're enamored with what you did and then you listen to it until you're, you know, your ears bleed, right? Because of just the, the joy of music being your music, you're hearing it, right? Six weeks later, you're like, you know, we're really not that good. <laughs> we're, we well, well, you know, you get over it, right? And then you're like, huh, boy, we're not really, we're really not that great of musicians. We're a, that's a, this is a bad song. We're a bad, we're bad, we're a bad band, <laughs> right? And, and, and mind you, this doesn't happen anymore, right? Because we have computers, right? But, but then you did it, right? It was a four track. It was just like, they played back what you did. There's no, there might've been some level matching you could do, and, but you couldn't necessarily, you know, uh, there was no pitch correction. There was no like sort of beat detective drum editing where everything's perfect. Like we weren't even using a metronome. We were just playing the way we did it in our practice space, right? But that so that was a really big po- moment too. And I got into going, okay, well, so that means we, ha- well, how did Van Halen do it? How does how does Rick Springfield do it? How does you know how do the Beatles do it? How does Black Sabbath? Do it? Okay, they just I guess they're just good. Right. So, okay. 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 So now, now we have to get good. So now it becomes like a, a, an endeavor of trying to make what comes out of the speakers sound like our heroes do. And that's an, that's an attempt of trying to just be a better musician. Right. But then also like, well, okay, I, pl- I know I, now I played that great. Why does it sound so bad? Well, I don't know how to record that. Right. Or the guy that we talked to doesn't or worked with, doesn't know how to record it. So it, the whole process of it just fascinated me. And I liked being in that environment of making music and playing it back. It's still to this day, if I record an idea and I listen back to it, it's a magic trick. And I, I <laughs> even to myself, you know, um, I particularly like working with younger musicians because that, that, that effect is so much more pronounced you know, like they can go through that moment that I had and I can kind of live vicariously through it. It's really fun to like when you have like kind of like a young band in the room and and you you get like some big ass drum sound, you know, like the snare drum sounds huge or something like that. And then they come into the room after they've been whapping on it for a minute and then they listen back and they, you kick up the room mics and it sounds like a million dollars, you know, and they're like, that's me, you know what I mean? Like that, that's infectious too. It's like an, you want to repeat that all the time. So it's, it's, no, so it's no like surprise that somebody like me with my sensibilities would want to stay in that sort of locale, you know? So uh, that was a really long-winded answer. I apologize. It's fun. That's why. <laughs> Well, no, but I love because the way you just described it, I, I, it, like you still sound like you have that because the fact that you even remember why. There's a lot of people who 
I feel like kind of lose like track of why they loved this in the first place or what made them yeah. want to do it, you know. And and right. you sound like you still have it documented on why you love this. Like you can still right away go, nope, this is this is why I did it. This is why I love it. Like you seem you seem very sure about it. And I totally yeah. I totally get what you're saying too about young bands because you'll see that probably a lot more, uh, you know, in them than someone who's been like, ah, you know, this is this is my thirtieth album. And I'm there's no magic anymore. I mean, I def- yeah, I definitely have an you know old old timer vibe at times. You know, uh, old man river, whatever you want to call it. Like, um, but at the same time, you know, like that th- that doesn't help me. <laughs> it, what help? What helps? Yeah. What 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 I stand to gain is comes directly though from like the kid in me, right? And and there's a big kid in me. You know that I still like music for music and I can I can write if I write something that tickles me even if no one else has heard it I can if it if it's scratching that itch at that the right time and the hairs on the back of my neck stand up I I am just intoxicated with listening to it you know and like it's somehow trying to examine the idea like where could it possibly go from here or, or should it not you know like I have all these you know, just like any artist, right? You sort of overanalyze things, but it's like the it's the fun process to kind of make music. You know, it's it's taking something. You know, at a certain point, right? This world that you and I live in, right? There was a song called "Yesterday," right? That happened one at one point, and then it was there forever. But the day before yesterday, well, interesting pun. Sorry, um, there was no yesterday. Okay, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like one day, yeah, one day Paul McCartney came up with that stuff and then it was, but without him doing it, we didn't have it. And it's like, it's kind of weird, you know, like these, these things, you know, and I'm not saying that what I'm doing is on le- on that level, whatever, but that's my aim. I'm always going, I'm never going into be like, I'm going to hopefully I'll write something C plus today. You know what I mean? Like, that's not the, that's not the goal. You're always going for like, okay, what do I got here? You know? And sometimes you put so much work into something and you get C plus and other times you, you feel like the thing writes itself and it's an A, you know, and, and it's weird how that stuff happens. You know, you almost kind of have to just let the song tell you what to do. So what, what do you think are a few traits that like you need to have to be like a good producer? What are a few things you need to like kind of possess if you're going to like work on someone else's, you know, music? Um, vision, right? I think, uh, you know, you have to have an idea of where you want to land, meaning like you have to take the ingredients that you're given and going, okay, if I were to combine all these things, if I combine the playing of these four people or five people or whatever it is, playing these chords and these notes and these song, you know, this melody or whatever, what do I envision it sounding like at the end? And how, and then how do you take that vision and break it down and then into sort of like methodical steps, right? Um, a good producer, I think, can do that, right? You also have to sort of be an everyman person. You have to be able to uh, speak to a variety of different personality types in a way that promotes them achieving the best that they can achieve. And And I'll be honest with you, I'm not always... That's a that's a trick that a lot of producers don't master, myself included. You know, there are just certain times like you get a personality and you don't know how to complement it. You know, um, 
and in, and in that case, I, in some some respects, I will actually not try to compliment it, and then just be more of a technician, you know. Um, and, and then let that. If if I can't add to something, I probably won't try to. You know, if I don't have an a, a footing, I'm not just gonna give an idea because it's, I'm the idea guy or something like that. You know, um, it's more important for me at then to almost be a, a sort of documentarian in, in certain respects. But, but more often than not, um, I work best when I have a, a group of people that are sort of like open minded. They're interested in the process of making a record, and you know, everybody knows that if you go to make a record, you're gonna need a microphone, right? And you're going to need something to record that microphone, right? But I also think that if you go into it and go, well, we need to utilize a microphone and all these things, but we also need to use a guy to make it all work, a producer, an engineer, right? It's not just like, you know, if you're, if you're a band, this is my advice to young bands. If you're, if you're a band and you want to make a recording and you maybe, maybe you even have some recording experience, if you walk into the room with anybody it is that you're working with and treat the people like you know what they're about and what they're going to say and what they have to offer before you actually know what they're about and what they do have to offer, you're going to make a bad record. You're going to make a, a bad recording. But if you go in with the idea that you may learn something, right, and that your expectation could be bucked and that your expectation might be positively challenged, then you have the potential of making something great. But if you don't do that, I don't, I, I think you're, you're, you're setting yourself up for like almost instant failure because, you know, I, and, and I'll give you an example. Like I have had this happen a million times, right? Somebody comes in and they say, I want my drums to sound like Led Zeppelin, right? Like John Bonham. Okay. But your band sounds like no effects, right? <laughs> And if you were to, if you think about, if, if you're, if you're, if you understand those two bands for a second, right? Like no effects have like some of the driest, tightest, fastest drums, right? Very non, very, not a lot of cymbal sound and very tight and quick and it has to be punchy, articulate sounds, right? And Led Zeppelin is very sort of big and open and loose and washy, you know, with a, the bass drum even rings like quarter notes at a time, right? It's not like a smack. It's a thum, you know? Um, you can't really combine those two things and then expect that to work, you know? That doesn't squeeze out the speaker at the end the right way, right? Maybe someone has figured out a way to do that. I know I haven't. <laughs> so if you go in and say, I won't deviate from this idea that I have, that, that I'm basing off my imagination but has no basis in reality you're likely going to end up with a recording that you don't like. And if you're, and if you're on top of it, if you're not sort of self-aware enough to understand that it was your doing that made that happen, you'll probably then blame the person you work with and you move to the next person and you start the process all over again. You make another bad recording. It takes a while to kind of understand that like the thing that's in your way is yourself and the, that a producer isn't there to, to right your wrongs. It's there to guide you down. It's like MapQuest. <laughs> Or, you know, or Google Maps, if you want to keep it more modern. Um, like, if you want the, a Rhodes piano in a song, maybe don't put it in the same octave as the guitar part. Move it up an octave so that it's voiced differently and so there's clarity. And Those are the kind of tricks and, like, experience that a producer can bring. And So if you don't have that, um, you know, you, you're, you're going to make time-tested mistakes that, um, 
you know, could totally be avoided if you, you just open up your mind. You know, it's not just about like plugging into the Awesome Tron 7000. The Awesome Tron 7000 is awesome, <laughs> but it's like, it's not just that, you know, like if you're, if you take, uh, if you, I have the, the, the best camera in the world and the worst camera in the world, but with the worst camera, I take a picture of a beautiful sunset. And then with the best camera, I take a picture of a landfill. What's the picture you're going to look at? You know, that's a great point. That is, that is a really good analogy. Well, and that's what gear is. Gear is just like, it's fidelity. It's not, it doesn't invent you. It doesn't make you better. It might, it might just, it's, it gives you better fidelity of you. So if you have, if you're playing crap, if you're sounding like crap, if you have crap equipment and it's not tuned, it's like you'll get a highly accurate recording of you doing that, <laughs> you know, but like, but if you're, if you're playing, even if you're playing on crap gear, but you're so good and your touch is perfect with the guitar and you sound like a million dollars, doesn't matter what you record it with is going to be great. And it will speak to people. So. No, absolutely. And you're right about that. I mean, it's, it's like, I know I'm so level headed too. Yeah, you are level headed emo finder started glam rock. I would say, I feel like glam rock. Probably right. Yeah, probably. Come on. I mean, come on. It's just assumptions. I, I, I was, I, I was in, I was in the Watergate hotel. (laughs) I'm sorry. You can, if you listen with really good headphones. Yeah. You can hear me in the back. Yeah. You can hear you. I'm like, I don't think anybody's coming. Let's break into this uh, office. I got to get back to writing Bowie songs. Right. Yeah. I got to go. Um, I, w- I was going to ask, because I feel like you probably run into this. Like you, you, you were just kind of talking about, it, I feel like, but is it difficult at times when producing, because you're kind of helping get a song out of someone's head, but do you, do you kind of hit people where it's like, they have it so in their head a certain way that when you're trying to get it out and also kind of help them realize that maybe it sounds different, they're just not having it. I mean, I feel like you just kind of talked yeah. about what you were talking about, but I could see yeah, that being no, a I hurdle. Mean, well, yeah, it is a hurdle. Like, you know, but I'm not necessarily right though, either. D- do you know what I mean? Like, like what makes me more right than you? Like my opinion, it's, uh, it's because it's louder. Or like, no, not really. Like I can only show you the door and then it's your choice to sort of walk through it or not, right? Um, I can I can tell, you know, like if you're standing in a room that's burning and I'm saying, it's nice and cool in here, if you choose not to, like that's still your choice, but like you probably will like this chord better or you might, you know, whatever, right? I'm sorry, I'm crossing analogies here. Um, but, you know, my name doesn't go on the front, theirs does, right? So it's, it ultimately kind of has to be their decision. But if you're with people that sort of enlist you because of a certain reason, the best thing they could do is, sort, you know, is back their own decision <laughs> and let you help them, you know. And I, I'll never sort of offer an idea just because. Um, I will normally, and just the, my level of OCD, I will normally have like, you know, two to ten reasons why something is a, is a virtuous idea. Right. What, you know, the, this chord is in the key. <laughs> uh, uh, these notes are in key, you know, like whatever. Right. Um, it's very unusual for me to be like, you should do this because I just like it more. Um, I'll have a reason, you know, and then you can either back my reasons or you don't have to, you know, and it's ultimately your choice. You know, I, I, I have run into the situation where people have sort of chosen their way 
And then when they go to do the next thing, you know, the next, the overdub, the harmony or whatever, they then go, oh, okay. Yeah, that, if we did it, had, had we done it his way, this would now work. And truth be told, and sorry bands that I've worked with, if you've had that experience with me, I told you so. <laughs> uh, I was I was already there. Like that vision that I'm talking about. A good producer. Hopefully, I'm you know I'm one of these. Like where you kind of see that finish that finish line. I'm hearing the when you're thinking of the note for the lead part. I'm also thinking of the harmony. And so, like my my opinion isn't necessarily based off what we're looking at the time, but it's what it's, what's happening next too. So. You know, it's, it's puzzle piece management, you know, like, like that's actually a pretty good analogy. Like a jigsaw puzzle would be making a recording, right? And if the challenge, if it's a really big jigsaw puzzle, it'll take you a long time to put it together. Um, and it might be difficult to do, but if you come in with like a puzzle expert, they might have some techniques on how to do this more efficiently. Now, granted, a jigsaw puzzle is a game designed to challenge, you know, whatever, right? But making a record is an artistic expression. You don't necessarily, in all cases, want to just be frustrated the whole time trying to make something you enjoy. You know, that's not a that's not necessarily an emotion you want to be exercising when you're trying to, you know, elicit uh, uh, the emotions of love or loss or whatever it is in other people. You know what I mean? Like, just like, maybe, you know, maybe, you know, but not always, you know? So it's it's nice to have that kind of experienced guiding hand to say, okay, well, next you might want to try these two ideas, whatever. But more often than not, we're before we're even in the studio, like a lot of that stuff has been worked out, you know. Um, and some bands require more handholding than the others, you know. And the ones that don't require handholding, I I don't I don't do it. I let them make if they if I've made like three records with a band, like the fourth record, if I if we get there, like I, what do you think? You know what I mean? I wait for them to ask me, you know what I mean? Because they know how to make a record now. They've experienced, especially if they've done it with me three times, unless they've completely not paid attention. <laughs> then you'll, fi- you'll find out on the fourth record if they're paying attention <laughs> yeah, yeah. or not. <laughs> did, yeah. did you do, like, like as far as is with all your bands, I mean, were you doing a lot of self-production? Did you guys work with producers? Or were you always, because I, like, I didn't realize you've been doing this for so long. Like, did you always kind of have a hand in production on all your, during all your band's yeah. recordings? yeah. No, totally. Um, uh, you know, for by and large, um, the only times I've ever really worked with anybody else on my own stuff was um, with Jay Robbins with the stereo. He mixed 300 and he uh, sort of uh, produced and engineered the bulk of our EP that came after. Um, mixed that as well. Um, um, and then we had Jason Livermore mix the last two stereo records. Nice. Yeah, and then, um, but primarily, um, yeah, primarily I was the sort of the the um, the captain of the recording ship, as it were, um, and that that in some ways that's a good thing, in some ways it's a bad thing. Like I would have liked to have had more time, uh, sort of tutelage from someone, you know, that I sort of like respected their stuff, and you know, I uh, the things that I did sort of gleam from those two guys I use today. You know what I mean? Like I, I like I, I mean, I'm, I'm doing a, a started a, a new album mix yesterday and there's a certain routing thing I do that I still attribute to Jay Robbins that I, I was like, what you're doing what? Oh my God. And like, and I still use it. 
Like, and I, and like, I think like probably four or five years ago, I wrote to him, I was like, Hey, I just want you to know, I, I still do this all the time. Like I, that anytime I crack open a mix, like I'm sort of, I'm sort of reminded of you. So thank you. <laughs> you know? Um, so I, you know, yeah, like it would be nice to have more of that. And, and there have been times I'm like, maybe I should just go hire some super fancy dude to just produce one song for me, just so I could sit there and just steal, you know, steal the moves. Potentially it's, yeah, maybe, maybe. So, um, but I, it, it, funny, funny enough, that sort of happened to me. I've had like, I've recorded bands and then there's like, there's a hanger on with the band who's fancying himself a, an engineer and then oh next record looks like that guy's doing the record and i'm like oh cool should have known he's taking notes the whole time yeah. i didn't realize i had to hire had to charge an asshole tax you know what i mean but <laughs> i i clean i i have a few more uh just a few more questions here i mean I've, I've loved i've loved talking about everything i mean your production your bands and everything uh, as far as music goes for bands, Animal Chin, Let Go, The Stereo, I mean, have we heard most of the music you recorded, or is there any stuff that has never really seen the light of day? Talking more, I'm sure you have demos, but talking more like, I guess, like finished songs that like never never got released. Um, well, would you like a new stereo record? <laughs> I would love a new stereo record. Okay. Oh, is there okay. a whole... No, it's done. I'm not, it's, it's ready. It's mixed. It's mastered. Oh, it's mixed. Shit. It's mastered. Yeah, we have a brand new record that we're 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 sort of hopefully finalizing some talks with a company to release it. Um, but yep, it's done. We have 13, 13 songs, fourteen song album done, ready to roll, all new songs. Me, Rory, Sam and Chris. So Holy so. shit. Was not expecting that. <laughs> yeah, like uh, save the big uh the big reveal. <laughs> Yeah, that really. Oh, you have any other songs? Oh, maybe. Let me think here. Oh, yeah, we have a whole record. Um, I'd like a whole album. Yeah. Well, and in actuality, we actually wrote three. Um, Like, we have like a demo list that was like close to 32, 35 songs. The the remaining, like, the latter five or whatever were probably sort of like in half stages of songs or whatever, but. um, But most of the 30 songs were like fully realized songs. And then we're like, okay, let's pick one record out of this. So we came up with one really good record, and then we went and recorded it. And um, we I we just finished it sort of the end of last year. Um, oh, um, and, nice. that, and then we've been sort. Then the pandemic happened, so we're sort of like going great. Yeah, no, no, no time like the present to just like you know sit on something you worked on for a long time so <clears throat> but yeah no it's um we're we're sort of waiting to unleash it as it were so that is that is really cool and that that does suck that you were uh i was about to ask if you were like working on it before covid and yeah to uh to all of a sudden now after so long go to release it that really sucks that kind of uh put a damper yeah. on it but that's exciting so uh so yes yeah, stereo <laughs> well, fans I think, so, I think yeah, people I, will be excited. Well, you'll have to have us back on your show, you know. Um, we're and you know, and we also did this like so while I was working on the record the whole time, Rory was actually working on um a uh, five part podcast about our band. Um so Rory, you know, for those who don't aren't super familiar with the band, you know, Rory and I started the stereo. We're now in the band together again, but then shortly after the first record, you know, we kicked him out, right? And there's all this, like, stuff and turmoil and sort of unknown, 
lore about what happened to the stereo in that meantime and its impact on other bands and et cetera. And we have, so now we Rory went ahead and just made this, it's like, you know, really intense, high quality production podcast of the story of our band. And so he's like, sort of like taking the, I'm learning about the band I'm now in again by doing this. Right. And he's talks to, he talks to everybody in the band he talks to, you know, Patrick Stump from Fallout Boy, to Chris Caraba from Dashboard Confessional, Chad from Newfound Glory, Ryan from I don't know how, but they found me, and you know, uh Jeff Rosenstock, Andrew Dost from Fun. You know, like it, it it's a pretty sort of uh Vinny from Less Than Jake, you know, like uh, it's a pretty sort of like um action-packed podcast. And if you don't care about the band or anything like that, or you don't know if you're not familiar with the band, it's it's really ultimately a story about what it is to be in a band and not like Motley Crue, right? Or, or you know, like where everything is just like, and then we were like, you know, we were smashing diamond plates on top of, you know, like Hugh Hefner's head or something. You know, like what? what? You know what I mean? Like just the ridiculous craziness of that life, you know, Keith Richards and what I did, shot heroin into my eyeball and, you know, like we don't, we don't have that story. So if that's the, if that's the itch you're trying to scratch, you're going to need some ointment. But like, um, for, uh, for our story, it's kind of more of an everyman's tale of like trying to make a band work and trying to go for it and like not, not getting there and how it went wrong and maybe why it went wrong and like un- uncovering the drama behind being in all of that stuff as it was happening. And, um, and it, it I kind of feel like we have a, an interesting story. If you're interested about it, being in a band, what's it, what's it like to be in a band and not be crazy? (laughs) Um, you know, um, more level-headed. We're, we're the, we're the, uh, we're the, the suburban rock band. No, um, I'm kidding, but it's, you know, it's got some, it's got some good sort of drama, some heartache. It's got some, there's a lot of sort of difference of opinion about what happened between people and we let, we leave it all in there. It's really an interesting you know, I've heard it all, of course, like um, now at this point, and even I as a subject in the, the sort of documentary, if I take myself out of it, it's still a fascinating story. And Rory being not, I had no idea he was the storyteller that he was, but he is, he did such a fantastic job on this. Like, even if I wasn't in this, I'd still buy it, you know? <laughs> but that'll, that'll kind of come out sort of, at, you know, concurrently with the, um, uh, with the album, so I like that too because if people are, I mean, whether you are uh, already an old fan who you know is just excited for new music, but if someone didn't know you guys, that sounds like a pretty good introduction. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely a huge thing for fans that you want to know more about the band and kind of get some insight and you know listen to us blab. <laughs> uh, uh, it's not, but it's just well done. It moves quick. It's not like this bloated congratulatory thing. It's actually. You know, have you have you seen the movie about Anvil? Do you remember that band, Anvil? I've I've watched Story that of Anvil. It's a fantastic film about being in a band, and like really probably one of the more realistic films about what it is to be in a band. And it kind of has that vibe. You know, it's like it it shows all the it's it's not like a, this slap on the back. Great job, Stereo. You're the best today and heroes. Like it's not like that at all. It's actually quite sad. Um, and it's endearing it, it, it humanizes us as for what we are. And, um, you know, there's definitely parts in there. I'm like, I don't, I don't like this, but there it is warts and all. So 
it's 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 like kind of you know we, you know when you see a car crash nobody wants the people to be in a car crash but when you see one you kind of can't look away it's got a little bit of that we're sort of a car crash <laughs> oh man i'm excited i mean i'm excited for this and you i you're right too i think if you're not even a uh you don't even really have to know the music. That just sounds interesting. I mean, including if you're like, yeah, there's parts I'm kind of iffy about. That sounds very candid and open. It doesn't sound like you guys left much yeah. out. No, no. I mean, and and we tried to get, you know, everybody to have their say, you know. And like, so even if it was like something that I don't agree with or Rory didn't agree with, you know, whatever. And I mean, everybody, everybody goes under the bus a little, you know. Um, and this is, Hey, this is a heavy bus. Help me out here. Get this off. Um, you know, naturally. Uh, so it's, it's, it's genuine. It's, and, and I think it's authentic and it's, it's, um, I think people of any stripe will just enjoy this story of being in a band, whether or not you care about the band or the type of music that we play or not. It's kind of a, you know, stories from the road mixed with, you know, personal lives of of young young guys who think they know it all <laughs> i that is that is awesome that is uh two things i was not expecting so i mean yeah new stereo well, you're kind of the first yeah you're kind of the first person i think we sort of officially told we've we, i mean it's, we've joked that this is the worst kept secret ever you know um but um but it's all done um, you know, there's a couple of like T's to cross and I's to dot on certain things or whatever artwork, this and whatnot, you know, but everything's just kind of sitting there ready to go. And we're just sort of waiting for, you know, so sort of the right partners to get it all to work right. So, and, um, we've been talking and I think, I think we're, I think we're there. So stay tuned. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny too. Cause I got to tell you when writing questions for this, Part of, I mean, I was going to be that guy. I'm like, everybody asks them, ever going to get new? I know I asked unreleased music, but like, stereo, we're going to get back together, do another album. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm yeah. not going to ask that. They'll never, why, why would they do that? They might play shows, but there you go. You blew my mind. And I'm sure you blew a well, lot of people's listening's minds. Well, so, yeah, but, you know, level headedly, of course. Right? <laughs> yeah, level headedly, you did it. You mildly, yes. you mildly Carefully, blew their mind. I gave you the most vanilla. <laughs> You know, J.C. Penny explosion. I could so. <laughs> well, that I mean, Jamie, that is awesome. This is this has been really fun. I could talk to you forever yeah. about this stuff, and we're definitely having you back on when the new record comes out. But uh, yeah, thanks. As we're closing up here, I mean, you want to tell people where to find you online if they're a band, if they want to get a hold of you to record, like all that yeah. stuff. Where can people find you? Um, you can find me at jamiewolford.com, J-A-M-I-E-W-O-O-L-F-O-R-D.com to, you know, th- that's kind of my gateway to recording, you know, stuff. So if you want to re- have me record or mix or something like that, you can contact me through that. Um, the stereo is the stereo rock.com. And that goes to, I don't actually know where it goes. I think it goes to Facebook or something like that. Um, animal chin is about to finally get a bunch of stuff on spotify um i think i think july 30th maybe actually like just like a couple weeks away here is when it's actually coming out um so finally some more animal chin stuff coming out um and then yeah i think that's everything and then the the um stay tuned for the stereo record and the podcast you know i don't exactly know what to tell you about when that stuff is coming but it is coming it's all done and it's coming so um you know keep the social media ears perked yeah make sure you go follow uh 
Jamie and all the bands, and then you'll uh, then you'll know, and you'll definitely know on here because I'll uh, I'll let everyone know. But we're awesome. we're gonna play right now. If you're listening to the podcast, we'll play a few songs. Radio show will probably play a little more. But uh, we're gonna kick it off right now. I mean, I I gotta say, and the man's right here who wrote it. But uh, one of my favorite album openers, and I'm pretty sure I played this on our first radio show five years ago. Pretty sure it was on the very first playlist. We're going to open it up right now with the stereo with devotion right here on the Power Chord Hour.
without a sound Sorrow bound The course is set The plot profound Like broken hearts And boring art Somehow intact And torn apart We can't sing We can't dance Yet we expect a second chance Cause we Cast a big old block of Jamie Wolford for you. That one right there was Jamie Wolford off his 2013 solo record. That was A Framed Life in Charming Light. Before that was Animal Chin would Tell Me What It Means. Before that was Let Go with Smoke and Mirrors. And opening up that block of music was one of my favorite songs Jamie has ever written. That was The Stereo with Devotion. 
Got to thank uh, Jamie for doing this episode. Had such a good time with him. Was so fun. I've wanted to talk to him for a uh, long time. And huge, huge shout out to my buddy Josh Reynolds, who uh, got the whole ball rolling and kind of set up the whole interview. Uh, It's funny. I was talking to him a few weeks ago, and uh, it was actually during one of the radio shows. And I don't remember how the stereo came up. Maybe the fest. I think maybe we were talking about the fest. And like he saw, I, I know he see he uh, saw them at the fest, and I was definitely jealous at that. And it might have been that we were just kind of talking. I'm like, it'd be really rad to interview Jamie Wolford, you know, and uh, and it really would be. I've interviewed a lot of people who have worked with him, and uh, you know, he he's just someone who it's kind of like with Mike Hollins with uh with our guest last week here from TDR Records. It's like I've interviewed a bunch of people who. He's released their music or, you know, they know him in some capacity or friends with him and, uh, you know, but just never talked to him. And kind of same thing with Jamie. It's like, you know, for five years now, I've talked to people who, uh, you know, have worked with Jamie, but never talked to Jamie himself. So, uh, yeah, it was really rad. Josh, a uh, huge shout out to him. I mean, without even uh, really asking, just like going out and uh, being like, hey, you know, like this would be really rad. And, uh, yeah, getting us hooked up. So that was really, really rad of him. And, uh, you know, big, big shout out to both uh, Jamie and Josh. And, uh, yeah, that was fun because I have. I mean, Jamie, uh, I, I love, too, his enthusiasm for music. Like, what I loved about that was, like, I love talking to music producers and including ones like that where, like, he doesn't sound like he's ever lost that, like, you know, that thing that made him originally love music and, like, recording his own music and stuff. Because sometimes you'll talk to people who are, you know, like more into the just music side and not the recording and stuff like that. And they don't, I don't feel like it. And maybe it did at one point, but when you talk to them later on, they don't talk in that same enthusiasm that Jamie had. You know, a lot of people don't where it's like, it's, it's like, well, you know, I just kind of picked up recording later on or started doing it out of necessity where like Jamie's like, no, it's just like, it's this amazing thing you discover. And, uh, you know, like the fact that, he has that, you know, he can still document that and can still talk about it so vividly, uh, you know, I, I got to assume that he still has some of that magic in him. And, uh, you know, I love, I really do. I love talking to music producers as well as, you know, musicians and stuff too. But music producers, I feel like, because you can just kind of nerd out about music in a different way where again, like sometimes you'll talk to musicians, some will like want to geek out on their like, you know, on like their gear or like, you know, just. I mean, it could be music theory. It could be just like specific things like within music. Sometimes they're like, dude, like, I don't fucking know. Like, I don't know theory or I don't know this or that. And, you know, they they don't really want to talk about it. And then you get others who like will really like talk about, you know, I mean, I guess it kind of sounds cheesy, but I guess the process, you know, if you will, of like writing and recording a record and, uh, and writing and recording songs and stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I love uh, I love people like Jamie who, you know, have done both sides where and I think that's a great uh, I think that's a great I asked Jamie like what he thought good traits, you know, you find in it or like what a good producer has trait wise. And uh, I will say I think a, a good trait that uh, that a good producer has is that they have been, you know, in a band, you know, I mean, preferably bands, you know, not just one, but like being in that capacity because you got to know how to talk to musicians and you also have to realize like you you know like that you're handling essentially their babies you know their songs and uh, you know you have to kind of put yourself in their shoes 
and their mindset. And, uh, you know, I think it's a huge important thing. So, I mean, for him to have, uh, you know, a couple of really great bands under his belt and, uh, you know, really does have a really impressive uh, production career, you know, very cool. So great guy to talk to. I enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. But uh, that is going to be it. Make sure you follow Jamie. I mean, I am so excited that uh, we... The other thing, too, I mean, new stereo music. I was really... Like, I was not expecting that. Like, I I was going to ask, like, you know, do you see yourself... You know, do you see you guys, like, playing shows again? Like, something like that. And for, like, a second, I did want to ask, like, do you think we'd ever get, like, new music or something? But I'm like, that's not... I'm like, I'm sure he gets asked that all the time. And like, to be honest too, I was like, it's going to be a no. The other thing is like, I felt like in my head, I kind of answered my own question. I'm like, no, there's no way, but I am really, really excited for that. So, uh, I, and, and I really will too, when, uh, when that comes out as well as the uh, podcast, which I'm really excited to uh, listen to, we will definitely have, uh, Jamie back on and Rory. I would love to have Rory on. Uh, you know, a, a very another really important member of the uh, stereo, and also I love the Impossibles too. So uh, yeah, I would I would love to talk to Rory as well. And uh, I can't wait to hear this new music. I'm sure. I mean, if you're listening to this, I'm sure you're excited for new stereo music. You know, I mean, if you just listen to a 90 minute interview with uh, me and Jamie, I, w- I would say you're probably a fan of his work to some capacity. So uh, you're probably stoked. And they really are. I mean, the stereo is like the most underrated band ever on Fueled by Ramen. And 300 is uh, easily in my top three favorite uh, Fueled by Ramen releases. Just so good. You know, just so absolutely good. Should have been huge. And, uh, you know, I, I think it really, too, I, I think production-wise, you know, and and I would probably give some credit, I would say, too, to Jamie, you know, even at that point, kind of knowing, you know, what he wants and having that ear for production. It's like that record sounds so good and like never dated. You know what I mean? Like the production on it and stuff is just so really well done. The guitars are just really big, loud rock guitars. You know, it's just very much like a rock record. It's not it's not really like oh, it's two 90s or it's two this or that. It's like, it's very, you know, it's perfect, you know. But uh, yes, that is going to be the episode. Make sure you follow Jamie and all that so you'll be ready for uh, some new stereo. And uh, you'll I'll, I'll obviously let you know. I mean, I'm sure I'll be playing to uh, the first minute we get new stereo music. I'm sure I'll be playing that on the radio show. But uh, yeah, follow Jamie, follow the stereo and uh, all that. And uh, you can go check out his website, jamiewolford.com. That's probably the best place to start because then you can kind of find everything from there. But uh, if you want to follow us at Power Chord Hour on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and uh, find us, uh, where else? Where else can you find us? I always blank. I do this every week, tell you where to like find us and all that good stuff, and then I blank. But uh, yeah, those three places. Uh, check out the radio show if you need more Power Chord Hour. Uh, that is every Friday night, 10 Eastern to midnight on a 107.9 WRFA in Jamestown, New York. You can listen to the, uh, you can stream the radio station on the website at WRFALP.com. Check that out. Lots of other great shows too, not just mine. Tons of uh, other shows that are uh, much, much better than uh, this here, than this here program. But uh, yeah, if you want to check that out. And uh, hit me up, powercordhour at gmail.com. You ever want to talk uh, music or anything like that? 
And uh, I do have Power Chord Hour stickers are absolutely free, so hit me up there, and uh, I'll send you some. Oh, and I will say before we uh, before we go here, we will be taking a break. I mean, if you've been listening, you probably know I uh, I went to Denver, and uh, that is currently where I'm at. I, uh, I pre-recorded a few of these last few ones a little earlier, but uh, this is the end of the road for the pre-recorded episodes. So uh, yeah, we're gonna take a break for probably a week, maybe two weeks, but. Uh, you know, just a short one. I want to make. I wanted to make sure we didn't have a really, really long one. But uh, yeah, we're at the very least uh, one week without a without. I'm sure you'll survive a week without this here uh, fine program. But uh, you know, maybe maybe two weeks. But that should be about at most two weeks. But uh, yeah, I'll be back very soon and uh, more interviews. You know, I don't I don't know because I like recorded this, but actually I'm recording this uh, the night before I leave. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I recorded some, but I will tell you I brought equipment with and talked to a few people and uh, should be doing at least like two interviews. Maybe hopefully it'd be nice if I did more, but I might have done a few. And what I'm saying is I might have done a few interviews on the road. So uh, I should be back with some good stuff. But uh, yeah, until then, for the Power Court Hour podcast, I'm Anthony Merchant. Thanks for listening.